0: Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Connected Generation. My name is Nike Anani and I'm the host of this podcast. Here we explore all things legacy wealth, legacy business, and how you can be better connected to different generations in your family enterprise and different genders in your family enterprise. Enough about the pod. This week... We were joined by Michael Tanner, who is a phenomenal guy. I had such an amazing time talking to him. He's had a really interesting journey, having worked in the US Marine Corps and having been a C-suite exec. He is passionate about all things leadership and how folks can unleash the possibilities of their leadership potential. And we had a really multifaceted deep conversation on leadership. A few snippets of what Michael said and what's to come. Leadership is not about rank and authority and one has to have a big enough problem to solve that you need a team to solve that problem. That is what leadership is, being able to lead that team to solve a problem. He distinguishes between management and leadership and this concept of Servant leadership, where folks are willing to follow you as a leader. Gosh, I can go on and on and on and on and on of what we talked about. I took notes and it was just phenomenal. So, this is perfect for you if you've just stepped into legacy and are, you know, having to lead an inherited team that your parents put together and had been following them for generations and now it's you're in the leadership seat. This is perfect if you've just come into a family enterprise as a next gen and your parents are still leading and you're still trying to kind of find your feet and find your leadership style and how to be most effective. And this is just perfect for even leading families, I would say. Really, really important, useful tips on character development and skill sets. So I would encourage you to grab your favourite beverage if you can (laughs) Um, and enjoy it. Thank you. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the Connected Generation. I'm so excited to have you today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me as a part of the podcast. I I really like your focus on family business and especially kind of passing that baton to the second generation. I, I really like that focus that you have. So I'm really honored to be on your podcast and sharing with your audience.
0: Thank you. No, it's amazing to have you on. Um, I can't wait to get into your journey, your story, how you help folks. Um, I know you're a leadership veteran, and you've actually had experience in the U.S. Marine. But I don't uh-huh. want to. I don't want to <laughs> read out your whole bio. So can you sure. tell us more about how you got to where you are?
1: Yeah. No, I'd love to do that. So I, I entered into what I call my first professional leadership position in 1993. Uh, and that was in the United States Marine Corps. Um, that was the first time that I was actually paid to be in a leadership position, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that was in 1993, and I learned a lot in that military style of leadership that I believe a lot of people have misconceptions about. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think that military leadership is all about rank and authority and, uh-huh. and command and control. Uh-huh. And it, it's really not, uh, you know, I don't deny the fact that rank is important, but that's not what leadership is all about. And I learned that in the Marine Corps, uh, uh-huh. as I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, and got into the corporate world, my, my bachelor's degree is in computer science. So I pretty quickly got into the software development world and I found myself in leadership positions in the corporate world pretty quickly as well. Uh-huh. Um, and my transition from software development to leadership interest was really this transition of um, in my software development, I wanted the company to give me a bigger problem to solve every project, every time hmm. I wanted a bigger problem and a bigger problem. And eventually those problems were large enough that I needed a team of people to solve that problem. Hmm. And that's where really my passions kind of shifted from software development to leading people because I just so enjoyed watching that group of people, watching that team and helping that team to succeed in solving that really big problem for for the company and, in, in, you know, writing software. Uh, and so that's when I, I kind of did that transition from software development to leadership. And now, um, you know, almost almost 30 years later, I'm kind of at a point that I want to expand that, right? Not Uh just be limited by the number of people that I can lead in a corporate setting, but I want to expand that to teaching anyone and everyone that wants to learn uh, leadership. And so that's why I started the Credible Leadership Group.
0: Incredible. I've learned a lot already. I want to go back a little bit when you were talking about military leadership, Right. and how it's not about rank and authority because you've schooled me because I write right. and speak about positional leadership and yes. um, persuasive leadership and I always give this example about how in the military is about rank and authority and you lead mm-hmm. on your title and right. you're saying that's not the case can you
1: yeah th- definitely I would love to <laughs> and, and you know you, you let me just first say you are not alone um, so many people that uh, when maybe they bring me in to speak or they call upon me because they want coaching and they, they know that I have a military background, Mm. then they think that's where I'm going to go. Is that, you know, that command and control, I outrank you, I said, do it. Therefore you must do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and they kind of equate that to, um, an org chart within the corporate world, right? Well, you know, I outrank you, therefore you should uh, follow, or you, you need to follow what I'm telling you to do. And, I, I refer to that philosophy, if you will, as management, right? So you, uh-huh. you, you are acting as a manager, not so much as a leader. Uh-huh. And, and I recognize, I wouldn't have called it servant leadership while I was in the Marine Corps, but I, I recognize that that's what it is, right? It's uh-huh. servant leadership where, yes, that person outranks me, but the, the reality is I'm following their orders because I want to, not because uh-huh. I have to, not because they outrank me, but I'm following their orders because I want to. It's a willingness to follow. And that willingness to follow is all based in my perception uh-huh. that they want the best for me. My leader wants the best for me, right? They have the best interest of the team at heart. Uh-huh. They're, they're not in leadership for some selfish motive, And my willingness to follow them is based on that. It's not based on the fact that they outranked me.
0: This is making so much sense. Um, I read Leaders Eat Last by
1: Simon Sinek. Yeah. Why didn't
0: I think about, because in that book is based on the culture of leadership from the military, isn't it?
1: That's right. Yeah. And it's all about leadership. Yeah. He is spot on. I mean, that uh, j- just the title alone he is spot on with that is ingrained in leadership inside of the marine corps is that um the senior person the, the, the you know the highest ranking leader they're going to eat last and the reason that is ingrained in leadership is because it it demonstrates to those that you're leading that you care about them more than you care about yourself Mm. Right. You are you are more concerned about them and their well being than you are your own well being, um, and that's a that, that's a um, critical leadership mm. uh, concept that is taught in the Corps.
0: Incredible! I've learned a, a lot. You you said whilst you were in the software world, you were seeking a bigger problem to solve. Yeah. And it got to the point where these problems became so big you needed a team to manage, and then that became. Right. The problem in itself, right, and not testing your leadership. Can you speak more about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that um, had it not been for my Marine Corps experience, I would have experienced that difficult transition that so many people in the corporate world experience, and that is going from a team member to a team leader. Right? We we always mm-hmm. use the sales department as an example, but you know, you have that rock star salesman. Mm-hmm. that you know is just a phenomenal salesman and then he gets promoted to sales manager wow. and suddenly the sales department kind of starts to fall apart and that's because he's a great salesman but he's not a great leader and uh-huh. and he's not being trained to do so right Um, and had it not been for my Marine Corps experience I think making that transition for me would have been very very difficult because you're right now My main responsibility and my main concern was no longer writing good software. My main responsibility and concern was leading the people well that are writing the good software. Right. So, uh, but I I just, um, I just became really, really passionate about that. I'm a, I'm a big uh, sports fan. Mm -hmm. And so I just love to watch a group of people come together. Uh, We call that a team, of course, right a group of people come together as a team and win at something, whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. I just got so passionate about watching them come together and win. And that's why I really, uh, you know, uh, adopted this, this, uh, this passion for teaching leadership.
0: Incredible. And, you know, bringing it home to family enterprises and particularly the next generation who may find themselves being past the baton. Um, mm-hmm. What have you seen? What are the common struggles that you see them facing in this area of leadership?
1: Yeah, I, I'm so excited to talk about this. And, and and it's one of the reasons I really reached out to you and I wanted to to share with you is because I see that a lot. I see where leadership in a family business has been is being passed to the second generation. And I know that there's a lot of difficulties just in that process of passing it off to the second uh, generation and and I know you're you're doing great work to help businesses make that transition and I think then where I pick up or, or where some of my clients begin to reach out to me is that second generation is now in place they they're now the the CEO or the president or or, or to some you know they're they're the leader of the business now and their struggle now is how do I lead this team of people that the first generation built, right? The first generation put this team of people together and mm-hmm. they face, they face challenges like, um, you know, I'm leading people that have been in the business longer than I've been alive right? <laughs> or, or they've been in the business so long and they're sitting there. We've always done it this way. And this is the way we want to do it. Or they have leadership challenges where, they, their, their first generation, their, their parent, their mother or their father was so highly regarded and so highly respected. And they're struggling to, to gain that same level of respect and so forth. And so that's where they're reaching out to folks like me to mm-hmm. help them with those leadership principles, uh, because the baton has been passed and now they're trying to lead this group of people.
0: 1000% resonates. <laughs> yes, now, I'm <laughs> sure you've my, seen it many, My many experience times. and also the folks that I work with. And so how do you get them to deal with inherited teams?
1: Yeah, so it, it's the, the thing to focus on is not the title or the position or the authority. You know, I, I, I teach it no matter what the scenario. So you've inherited, you, you know, you're the second generation inheriting a business and therefore inheriting a team. Well, you need to recognize that your leadership, it's not about your title. It's not about mm-hmm. your position. It's not about your authority. It's not about the fact that you're the child of the, you know, the founder or the previous owner, but your leadership is going to be based on other concepts that demonstrate what I call what's typically called servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and we teach four components of servant leadership. We first teach credibility and credibility is, it's your history or your track record of some type of success.
0: Yeah.
1: And then we teach competence. Um, competence is the knowledge and the skill necessary to, you know, to lead this team. Uh, and both of those, by the way, are mainly based on your team's perception of you. Right. Mm -hmm. Your team's perception of your credibility and your team's perception of your competence. And thirdly, the third component we have, uh, we we call it a motive. Right. And this is basically the answer to the to the all important question. Why do you want to be a leader? Mm -hmm. And and that answer, really, the perception that your team has of that answer, it either falls in the category of a selfish motive or a selfless motive. Mm hmm. And then finally, the fourth component that we teach in our leadership is relationship. And that is the level of relationship that you have with those team members that you're leading. And it's a relationship on a personal level, right? How much Mm -hmm. do you know them as a person? Not just how much do you know, uh, you know, how much they contribute to the team or the job that they're doing, or even the performance that they are holding up. It's really a level of relationship related to how much do you know them as a person and how much do they know you mm. as a person? So those are the four components that we teach, credibility, competence, motive, and relationship.
0: Incredible. I think my question is on the last one. Okay. Um, in a situation where a business is growing, mm-hmm. how do you maintain that personal level of relationship uh-huh. with,
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that that is a very good question and especially, you know, if you know t- new team members co- coming in and so forth, um then building that relationship uh it it's a it's a long-term uh strategy, right? Uh, again, Simon Sinek, he has a great book called The Infinite Game, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 he talks about you know, this isn't about what are we going to accomplish this quarter? And you can't view building a relationship especially with new team members you can't view that as a one time event oh. or you can't view it as a short term event you've got to over time build a better relationship and and honestly the thing the thing you have to do is you have to be intentional about that you have to be yeah. intentional about building those relationships and you're not you're not trying to do this in secret, right? This is not a covert operation that I'm kind of, you know, unbeknownst to you, I'm trying to build a good relationship with you. No, we're, we're, Hey, I'd, I'd really like to get to know you a little bit better. Tell me a little bit about your family, um, you know, and, and you're willing to tell them about your family as well. And so you've just got to be intentional about it um, because really the responsibility for building a good relationship, all of the responsibility lies on the shoulders of the leader. Yeah. And the reason for that is there is this artificial boundary. The organizational chart creates this artificial boundary, and it's just not natural. It, it's the rare occasion that someone will will try to build a relationship up the org chart. Yeah. Right. So those that you're leading, you can't expect them to try to make, you know, build a good relationship with you because of the org chart. You have to build the relationship with them and just be intentional about it, you know, be sincerely curious mm. about them as a person um, and be willing to share, you know, your own details with them as well, because you're demonstrating when, when, when I tell a team member about my three children, mm. well, then I'm demonstrating to them that it's okay that they tell me about their children as well. And then I would, I just want to be intentional about being sincerely curious about them.
0: I love what you said about that, Michael, um, in terms of the friction upwards in an organization because I've worked in an organization. I remember there's this you're partly in awe of people at the top. you're partly scared <laughs> of them um, mm-hmm. and you know to you don't know how much of yourself you can bring to the fore. To That's connect right. Connect with them. So, like you said, it's on the part of the leader to initiate that and to share information about self and to promote them to also reciprocate. So, I, I absolutely love that. I was thinking, you know, you were mentioning next gen successors that have mm-hmm. entered into the leadership role, dealing with an inherited team that might mm-hmm. be resisting change, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've always done it this way. Yes. You know, um, they've been in the organization longer than you've been alive. Yes. Right? And with COVID, um, and not just only COVID, really, the next generation are quite often seeking to implement change, mm-hmm. um, technology, drive innovation, sustainability. How can they navigate, you know, this change with a team that's supposedly or seemingly resisting said change?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the most important aspects of implementing change, whether it be in a team that is, is resisting that change, or even if it's in a team that seem seemingly open to change, one of the most important aspects for a leader is to, is to gain buy in from the team members to implement that change, right? Because. Mm one person as the leader is not going to be the person that, that implements all that change, right? It's going to take every member of the team and in, in whatever uh, aspect uh, of their, the team is their responsibility, it's going to take them all to make that change. And so uh, a leader has to, um, to gain the buy-in of those team members to then go and do the hard work to implement that change.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: the, the one way that you will most certainly not – gain that buy-in is to charge in as the new leader, especially the young inherited leader, right? You just, you were just handed this company. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just charge in and say, I know what we need to do. Here's what we're going to do. Let's go do it. Instead, you have to go to that team um, as a humble person huh. and you've got to go to that team and you can, you can present the problem or the challenge, or what, right? You can present that to the team, but oh. then you've got to be humble enough to start to get their input into what's the best way to solve this problem. Oh. Really what you're asking is what type of change do we need to make? And oh. when you as the leader are humble enough to solicit their, their input, their ideas on the best way to solve this problem, and then you start to work with those ideas. You start to debate those ideas among the team with them. And then you, you settle in on what the team believes to be the best idea. Huh. And then you start to make a plan to implement that change. Well, now you have buy-in from all of those team members because essentially the idea was theirs. It was uh-huh. their idea. And therefore, they're now bought in to go and do the hard work to implement that change. And it might be the exact same idea that you as the leader originally thought was the best uh-huh. thing to do, right? Uh-huh. But that's okay. You don't need credit for the idea. What you need is you need them to be bought in to implementing that change. Um, and so if you'll just go in with a humble spirit and a, and a cooperative spirit of, hey, what do you all believe is the best way for us to make this change or to solve this problem or to overcome this challenge? Uh, whatever that might be, then you have the buy-in that you need from the team for them to go and make that change.
0: This is powerful, Michael. Um, essentially, get them to co-create with you. And Correct. Co-exist. Yes, totally. And your, your role is not to dominate and to impose, but mm-hmm. to be a facilitator. Yes. Um, to get to the best answer or the best scenario for, for the given company. Yes. And I was just thinking a lot of what you're saying, humility, selflessness, a service mindset, curiosity, mm-hmm. um, collaborative um, outlook. These are all character, right? The personal, mm-hmm. derived from one's personal character. Yes. Um, for next geners that are not necessarily there yet, they're not necessarily presidents of their family businesses yet maybe they're much younger, mm-hmm. um, how can they start to build these character traits yeah. Um, yeah. in anticipation of their future leadership?
1: V- very good question. Very good question. And and I kind of tie that, you, the, the four components that we talked about earlier, I kind of tie this to, to, to motive. Um, and I believe second generation leaders within a family business, they can – they can really struggle with motive just the same way that someone just growing through the ranks in the corporate world can struggle with motive. Mm. Uh, Occasionally I have clients that are honest and transparent enough. When I ask the question, why do you want to be a leader? Why did you want the position you have right now? Occasionally I have people that are transparent enough to say, well, I just wanted the title, right? I thought it'd be nice to have to be the vice president of something, or I want the Mm -hmm. prestige, or I want the authority or the, or the money. Um, and a second generation that has inherited a business, they might find themselves in a very similar situation, right? Well, my, Mm -hmm. my motives were really that I didn't want to let my dad down, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, I didn't want to pass up a good opportunity to, to own a company or, but it could be something like that. And so the question then becomes, well, then how can I create within myself these selfless motives, right? If I got into oh. leadership for some type of selfish motive, well, how can I create in myself some type of selfless motives? Oh. And I always teach this, that the, the feelings or the emotions of something, they always come after actions. They don't come before actions, and uh-huh. I equate it I equate it to this um, exercising um, very few of us, especially maybe if we're doing it you know in the morning right very few of us get out of the bed early in the morning and we just feel like we want to go exercise I just I just want to go run right we just don't feel that way uh-huh. but when we make ourselves do it, we go and we go for a run or we go to the gym or whatever after we've gone to the gym we have this feeling of, man, I'm glad I did that. I feel mm-hmm. good now that I did that. Um, inside the corporate world, an example is appreciation. Mm. I work with a lot of leaders that kind of have this idea of expressing appreciation that they don't really need to do that because one, they just feel like, well, that person's just doing their job. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. Mm. And I always tell them that if you will... Be intentional and take the action to express appreciation. After that action, and in the impact that you see that it has on that person, you will then start to feel the emotions of appreciation. Right? Huh. And so, I would say the same for that individual that's trying to build out up these these characteristics. Take the action necessary and after the action and be consistent about that, right? Again, this is this is not at all a one-time event. Uh-uh-uh. We are consistently taking the action and then that will start to build in us the emotions and the feelings and the character traits that we need as a leader.
0: Wow, I love the analogy about exercise because it's real. Right. My husband and I fell off the bandwagon a couple of weeks back. And so <laughs> we all week, do. We all do. Yeah. This, it's really funny you say that this week. Every so I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings. He does Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday mornings. So uh-huh. at five in the morning, we kick each other out of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. So that's it was really so funny you said that because that's morning, a really good strategy. Like, I like it. Yeah. That. I was like, yeah, it's time for you to get up and get right. to exercise. And Yeah. And so he was exercising in the house and halfway through, he's like, I feel so good. I feel so good. Right. Right. Yeah. I was like, you see, yeah, it's good to have your wife kick you out the bed. Yeah. You you
1: know, I'm, I'm certainly no um, marriage therapist or anything like that, (laughs) but I know that there are times even within my wife and I, we've been married almost 28 years now. And there are times that, you know, I have to, take necessary actions to demonstrate to her that i love her and then taking those actions rejuvenates the emotions and the feelings of love right so um, Hmm. it's always the action that precedes the emotions and the feelings and so forth that you're that you're seeking
0: incredible but there's something here is the ability to um defer gratification isn't it and it requires discipline like you said absolutely consistency so how how can one start to build up that kind of is it stamina i don't know yeah um to be able to take action before you get the buzz the feeling
1: yeah 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 you you know that's why i'm always so purposeful around talking about that taking these actions have to be intentional right you have to do things intentionally like expressing appreciation for whatever reason the way the human mind is is typically wired we can easily and almost uh, you know subconsciously recognize the faults or the failures or the mistakes of other people right it, it just comes natural that we can recognize those things but to recognize that someone is doing something right or or that they're going maybe above and beyond what they should be doing those good things about what our team members are doing, we don't just naturally recognize those things. And so we have to be intentional about doing that. And, you know, I, I teach a lot of very tactical ways to be intentional. And one of them, for instance, uh, that I teach, and, I, and I've done this for, for years. If you ever look at my calendar, uh, at 1 p.m. on Friday afternoon, there is a 30-minute block of time that is blocked out there's no invitees to that meeting that's just my meeting and that meeting is simply titled recognize someone right Mm. and what that does for me that's and i take that 30 minutes and i send an email or i write a card or whatever and i express my appreciation for something that someone on the team has done that week and and usually it's four or five people that i will express that to But just the fact that I have that meeting on my calendar every Friday, what that does for me is throughout the week, you know, again, subconsciously in my mind, I know that meeting is lingering out there on Friday on my calendar. And so what that does is it keeps me attentive to Hmm. looking for things that people are doing right. And so, you know, it's Tuesday afternoon, and I see someone do something, I'll Hmm. make the note, hey, on Friday, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that he knows I saw that and I really appreciate that going above and beyond there. And I'm going to be specific about that. So that's the level of intentionality that I'm talking about uh, that is necessary for us to implement these all four, really, of these characteristics of leadership.
0: I love that example you gave um, about, you know, recognizing someone and showing appreciation. And like you said, in your subconscious knows that. On Friday at one o'clock you're going to have to recognize some people, so you're chronicling positive actions of people right. and it what that also does is it makes you it gives you an attitude of gratitude, yes right because you're noticing positive things and not just like oh, they didn't do this right I didn't do that right and it, i'm I'm guessing it energizes you as a leader as well
1: sure it, it certainly does i mean again it um i wouldn't just naturally recognize all those good things that that people on the team are doing, but just because i 'm being intentional about trying to express my appreciation because i don 't want to be at the end of the week and have no material right have have nothing to share with people, and so it just keeps me attentive and you 're right I mean when we start to see uh team members doing good things and and it just it energizes us uh, as leaders as well incredible.
0: I've, I've learned so much and it's just been 30 minutes, Michael. I have one last question. Sure. You mentioned this evolution from team member to team leader, Mm -hmm. right? I was thinking about the application to family businesses, which as we move from generation to generation, typically we need to start thinking more strategically and not just operations wise, which, you know, it's, it's hard as the business might be growing you might mm-hmm. have new products, services, expanding to different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, how can you move from member to leader in that scenario?
1: Yeah, that's really, really good question. And, and I know that, you know, second generation family business owners, even when they are a team member, then they are faced with the, kind of the stigma of, well, you know, you've, you have this job because your dad owns the business and yeah, one day you'll get it handed to you and so forth. I have a client right now. He, he is, he's just inherited a roofing business in and, and this roofing business is uh, a, a, um, a business that his dad uh, created the business. And then while he was in college, uh, he was on one of the roofing crews, right? So he was up on mm-hmm. the roof and he was nailing shingles, and he was doing all of that work. And, you know, he talked to me a good bit about, of the stigma that he had oh well you're you know you're the owner's son and that's why you got this job and so really what i coach through there is when you're the team member those four leadership components that we talked about credibility competence motive and relationship Mm -hmm. when you're the team member it's really really important that you build up the credibility and the competence those are the two that you really really focus on you don't need to be concerned so much with motive for instance mm. because you're not a leader yet. So no one is asking you the question why do you want to be a leader? Mm. Uh, so you don't really need to work on on um uh, motive just yet, but you want to build credibility and you want to build that competence that is necessary that one day when you are the leader then you have that foundation if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and so the way that you do that is you even as a team member you demonstrate to your other team members this track record of success, right? It could be you as an individual, you know, that's contributing uh, in this track record of success, but you're also demonstrating to your team that you're increasing in your competence, right? You're increasing in your in your knowledge and in your skill. And really in two parts, the subject matter expertise, uh, you know, roofing, for instance. So it was important for my client to demonstrate that he has the competence in the skill necessary to put a roof on a house, Hmm. but also competence related to the ability to lead, right? Leadership competence. Uh, And you want to start to, you know, develop that as well. So if you're that team member, really focus on building your credibility and and building your competence. And then that, therefore, when you start, when you get promoted to leader, now you can start to build those relationships and you can start to demonstrate a selfless motive in your leadership. You've already got the credibility and competence as a foundation.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Michael. I've, I've
1: learned so much from you. Is there any
0: closing comments, lasting words,
1: no, I, I would just say that um what we've tried to do is we've really tried to give individuals a an objective measurement of their leadership effectiveness. And we've taken those those four components, credibility, competence, motive, and relationship, and we've put them together in a an equation that then gives you a score and then you can you can work on those four elements and watch your score grow. And um so I would just encourage the folks that are are interested in measuring their leadership, they can find that at uh, credibleleaders.com. I encourage you to check that out.
0: Incredible. And um, how best can people reach you if they want to get hold of you? Is it on that website?
1: Or? Uh, well, th- certainly there, uh, credibleleaders.com. You can find everything that I'm doing there. You can find out how to contact me and so forth. Um, as it relates to social media, um, I'm I'm most likely on LinkedIn more than some of the others so just look me up on LinkedIn I'd love to connect with anyone that uh, that's interested. Incredible.
0: Thank you so much, Michael.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Awesome. Oh my goodness, I loved this conversation. Like this conversation honestly, it like captures what I love the most. And the area of the work that I do that I really love the most is all this leadership stuff. And how do you lead without authority, without titles? How do you lead through your character? How do you influence? How do you bring about change? You know, um, so yeah, all, everything Michael was saying was just like, oh my goodness. And I loved what he was saying about essentially being able to champion change at the heart of that requires humility a humility to realise that you are not necessarily the custodian of all the ideas and solutions, but you're a facilitator. And that requires a humility so that other people can bring about their ideas on what's the best way to solve this problem. And I think that shows us the difference between a ruler and a leader. A ruler imposes, a ruler, you know... um, has the ideas, a ruler thinks they've got everything on lockdown, a leader influences, a leader facilitates. And I think we have to move from, we've seen a lot of rulership. We need to see a lot more true servant leadership where people willingly follow. I love what he said about feelings always come after action. So we must be principle based and do things, um, and not be, not be influenced and led by emotions and feelings. The feelings will, will precede the right actions. Um, that takes a lot of discipline. I know. <laughs> it takes a lot of discipline. Like the example I, we were talking about, um, getting back on the bandwagon of exercise. Good grief. Yeah. It's, it's been a while. So we recorded this episode, um, all the way back in November. Um, and it's been a while since that conversation. And honestly, the, I, it, what Michael said is so apt because it's now been a few months of being consistent with with exercise. And now when I'm going to the gym, I'm actually happy. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I get to go to the gym. I'm so stoked, you know? Um, so, but initially it's not that way, right? Um, we have to get into a rhythm and a routine of being action Um, led and then the feelings will follow lastly I loved his point about gratitude just carving out time to show gratitude to folks that work with us and even to our loved ones I think it's just a phenomenal um, thing to do and the thing is you know whatever we focus on expands and it grows and that mindset is just so much more helpful than a negative mindset So, yeah, so much to unpack. I really loved that. Really, really, really loved that. Um, Yeah. And as always, please leave a review, um, a rating, wherever you listen to this podcast, on Google Play, on Apple, iTunes, on um, Spotify. It really helps with the visibility of the podcast and to spread the word. And also, if you know someone that might be navigating all these challenges in leading inherited teams, of gaining credibility, of influencing effectively, championing change, just share this episode with them uh, to bless them. Thank you so much for tuning in. Take care and God bless you.